You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What I think is happening in this text is that kingdom people are distinctive in their actions in the world because of their transformed character. It is not merely their private lives that have been changed by Jesus, but their public lives as well. There are several things to notice as you begin to look here. One is that there is a a shift from the third person to the second person. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those guys. But instead of those guys, now he's talking about you. He's addressing them directly. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And again, I'll just tell you what I think is happening. I think that um, those kingdom people who are poor in spirit, meek, uh, who are uh, mourning, who are merciful, who are peacemakers, who are persecuted, who are pure in heart, I think those people, though they are transformed to be that, I think that Jesus is saying there is a public element to being a kingdom person. That being a kingdom person is not a private thing that you keep to yourself. And in order to do that, he appeals to their identity. Or I could even say to your identity. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is an appeal to identity, not a call to action. It is about what you are, not about what you do. And even as I say that, I have heard a lot of sermons on this text. And almost all of them tell me to go out, get busy, do something as salt and light in the world. And Jesus really is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Don't let that Dissipate. Don't let that go away. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't let it wash out. Don't stop being who you are. Well, why would they stop being who they are? Why would you stop being who you are? Why would Jesus even need to say that? I think because of what is right above this. You look right above this. What's the very last beatitude? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad when people persecute you. 
See, that's, that's I think, what Jesus has in mind. The, re- the realization being that when you leave here, everyone's not going to just give you hugs and love you because you are a Jesus person. And the temptation is going to be, well, to put a little cap over it. Temptation is going to be, let it just not be so strong. In other words, remain private and not go public as a follower of Jesus. And so the encouragement here, some of the encouragement, I mean, if if it wasn't enough to say how wonderful it is to be persecuted, you did get that, right? Out of the previous text. (laughs) I'm not really sure. (laughs) You're like, hmm, can't really say that I'm going to go for that. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because yours is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, this is great news for you that people are going to persecute you. So don't try and avoid persecution. Rather, live in public as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Well, the first thing that he says is, you are the salt of the earth. comes right off the heels of what great news it is to be persecuted. (laughs) I almost can't even say that, right? It's just so, so unusual for us to think that way. He comes right off of that to say, you are the salt of the earth. But he doesn't say, what do you do as the salt of the earth? What does, why am, he doesn't even say why he's going at salt. Why talk about salt? He doesn't even say that. He just simply says, the issue with the salt is that the salt might not be salty. The problem is that, that the salt might not be what it really is. It might all leach out. And then what do you got? Then you got nothing. You can't even really throw it out and trample it underfoot. You got nothing if the salt sort of goes away. And so the word of Jesus here is, don't let your salt go away. You are the salt of the earth. And people have made all kinds of guesses about what it means to be salt. Why salt? Uh, And without meaning to, when you ask the question that way, without meaning to, you change the question to, what do we need to do in order to be salt in the world? Which is a very different question. You are the salt. Is Jesus telling you, you have an identity as a kingdom person who belongs to Jesus that has been transformed in such a way that you are going to live in a distinctive way in the world. The most important thing here is that you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. It assumes that salt is something that you are rather than something that you do. And I I want to see if I can't make this just a little more uh, direct. Because there is a theory that being salt in the world has something to do, and, and I've read several commentaries on this, uh, that, that being salt in the world has to do with you are put in the world to, to give some kind of moral preservation to the world. You are going to have a moral influence in the world that preserves it. Because that was one of the primary uses of salt in the New Testament. 
And that is the, the way that people have thought about this salt. In other words, that there is this component to being a kingdom person that is going to have a moral effect on the world outside. When that is the case, if that's the way you treat this text, it assumes then that salt is something you do, have a moral effect, rather than something that you are. And second, and this, this for me is kind of the clincher, and I want you to think, think about this. There in the crowd, we're told there was a crowd. He was talking to his disciples, and there's a crowd. In this crowd, there were scribes, and there were Pharisees, and there were teachers of the law. One of the things we know about them, partly from the rest of the sermon, it isn't like Jesus didn't know who was there. I mean, Jesus took direct aim at the Pharisees in, in a couple verses. They were in the crowd. And I can almost guarantee you that with Pharisees there in the crowd, Jesus was not saying to His kingdom followers, I want you to, uh, to, to lift up moral living. I want you to, to make sure that the people outside all live morally. Now I say that because That is all that the Pharisees really did. I mean, the Pharisees went for this moral living. That was their main main thing. And Jesus has harsh words for them. And so, I don't expect then that Jesus was telling His kingdom people to act like the Pharisees act in the world. Or if you just want to Again, think about that a little bit more. Um, the, the Beatitudes, the first uh, 12 verses there, I think also take aim at the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Okay, the, the, the religious leaders were not poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That is, did not characterize the religious leaders. And so Jesus is saying to His kingdom people, you are completely different than the religious people that you know. These religious leaders are not leading you toward the kingdom. So, I can't imagine that He all of a sudden shifts gears and says, now, just like they try and have this moral effect, I want you to have a moral effect on the world. I mean, where were they going to have a moral effect? On the Roman Empire? Were they going to have a moral effect on the religious uh, institutions of the day? I mean, I don't think that's what he's talking about. And so I don't think that the point of the salt is that salt preserves or salt flavors or salt does anything else. The point isn't what salt does. I think the point is that salt is everywhere. And salt influences all of life. So much so that Andy gave me a book entitled Salt. A history of the world. It's everywhere. And so it's important. That's what Jesus is saying. is that salt is important and that's you. Yeah, you have a part to play in the world. In public. And salt's used for all kinds of stuff. It's a vital part of life. 
And you know, I mean, you only have to eat dinner this afternoon to know that salt improves things, right? I think Jesus is saying, you're the salt of the earth. Having you in public is going to improve things. The world is going to be a better place because my kingdom followers are in it. Provided, right? This is where Jesus goes with this. Provided they don't just let it drift away. They don't let that, their saltiness evaporate. And so... Jesus assumes it's going to be detrimental to the world in some way if those who are salt in it don't um, live as salt. They, they, are, they, they are in public something other than they are in private. So let who you are influence your public life. Don't pretend to be unsalty. I think that might be a different way to say what Jesus is saying. Don't act as though you are someone you are not. I think so many of us compartmentalize, don't we? That, that today, we're our religious self, or we're our Christian self. And we go somewhere, and there's something a little weird, and we're not sure what to do, and we're like, whoop, I'll just remain incognito here. I think there is this incognito warning that Jesus gives us. Is that my kingdom people aren't incognito anymore. We see the same thing in in the next verse with light. And so, I think that there is more here than um, merely do your best to be salty. It's really do your best to be who Jesus has transformed you to be everywhere. In public, in private, in school, at work, at home, in the neighborhood. When you go to the mechanic. When you make a mistake. When you are in the world, be a kingdom person. Well, you do see that in just a moment. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Here is the second uh, encouragement from Jesus. You are the light of the world. What a, what a glorious thing. It is no wonder that it is borrowed so heavily, isn't it? That light is better than darkness. That, that doesn't need a sermon to tell you that. It just, you just need to wake up on a September and remember, oh yeah, back in June it used to be light in the morning when I woke up, and now it's dark and I need to turn on the light. And somehow that's better. And I think it's unfortunate, really, that from the beginning, in a Christian sermon no less, that America has been mistaken for the city on the hill. That it is so desirable to have this light in this city on the hill that it now has been co-opted to mean something other than what Jesus meant. And I think when it's used that way, see, it goes in this other direction that I've been trying to say is not the way to go. Namely, that, uh, 
that this light has to do with moral influence or moral uh, aptitude, moral character. That somehow we should make America moral again. I don't think that that's what Jesus was after. There's no way that an earthly kingdom can be a city on a hill and parallel the kingdom of Jesus. But what he's talking about really is that the kingdom people are intended by Jesus to live in the world publicly so that the light can be seen. I mean, that's not complicated. It doesn't really even need a sermon. I feel kind of silly here. Because when the light shines, it invites people into a better kingdom. That's what Jesus is after in public, is that these lights, these kingdom people, are by virtue of their light going to invite people into a better kingdom. They are going to beckon weary travelers to come home. And to simply insist on morality is not that. And I will say, as much as this has been co-opted and taken to mean other things, even in public life, I want you to realize that the church wants, or excuse me, the, excuse me, the world wants what the church has. The world wants what the church has. And we, we don't believe that. We like are apologetic, like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry I'm a Christian. I mean, I don't, don't let me offend you. I'm not really that good. I just grew up that way. Or we have some kind, we tell ourselves some story like that, don't we? When, in fact, the world wants a light. The world wants a city on a hill, really. And you should be able to say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. He is the light of the world. Come and see. Look what we have. Rather than apologize for it. And see, I think we have told ourselves a story so often that, that somehow the Christian faith is inferior. I mean, some people are telling us that story on the outside. No question. And we believe it and we apologize for it. When, in effect, there is, there is an aspect of what we have as Christians that they want, that they envy. And so they co-opt the language of Jesus to say, we really do need a city on the hill. Let's make it, and they'll say, let's make it something else. Jesus says, it is the kingdom. It is the kingdom people. It's the kingdom people who are the light on the world. And then what, is the, what, is, what does Jesus have to say about that light in verse 15? Do, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Again, I want you to follow the, the reasoning of Jesus here. You are the light of the world. In other words, 
lighting the world is not something you do, it's something you are. The only way that that breaks down is if you say to yourself, I've got to keep my light secret. And you put it under a basket. Or you hide it somehow. You draw the, the, sh- the blinds on your life. Because if the blinds are up, the light goes out. And people are going to know. You're a kingdom person. You belong to Jesus. The funny thing is, again, maybe if you knew this passage was coming, you, you were thinking, well, I'm going to go to church. He's going to tell me what to do to be salt and light in the world. What do I have to do to be light? There is no work here to be light. The work is hiding the light. It takes work to hide the light. That's completely backwards from what we normally think, isn't it? Let me say it this way. You have to disassociate from the light of the world to cover the fact that you belong to King Jesus. And that's the way that your light doesn't shine in the world. Because just if you live like who you are, your light shines because you are the light of the world. And so you don't tell people, go shine your light and try and figure out what that means. <laughs> Instead, Instead, it's just a matter of living in the world as a Jesus follower unapologetically. It's a matter of not stopping being who you are as part of the kingdom when you're in public. That's what it takes. Don't cover yourself up. You have been united by faith to Jesus, the light of the world. And if you don't hide, He will shine forth. In the same way, verse 16, let your life shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And now you read that and you say, Aha, we got him. There is something to do. Yeah, I knew it. I knew I had to get busy and work, right? They may see your good works. The reality is, I think, that you don't go looking for good works to do so that your light shines. You are light. And you go through the world as someone who is merciful. Okay, I'm going back to the Beatitudes, you know. And when you show mercy, bam, that's good works. You go through the world as a peacemaker. And you do your best to make peace. And look at that. That's good works. What do people notice about that? They notice the character of Jesus shining through in His kingdom people. The Beatitudes themselves uh, represent the good works. If I live as someone who was poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking and persecuted, 
if I don't alter my life then when I go in public, what comes from living that way are good works. You are going to be a good person. In fact, like they were talking about my neighbor, you're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to be the kind of person that brings glory to God because you're poor in spirit, meek, mourning, hungering, thirsting for righteousness, and so forth. I would be remiss if I did not point out that even though we have in contemporary, our contemporary language lots of references to light or points of light or anything like that, this is the language that the prophets used. So Jesus giving this sermon, much like I'm using his words, he's, he's really borrowing language from the prophets to say this light this, this kingdom that involves light is something that you have been looking for all along. You probably recognize it from readings that we do at Christmas time. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. And he goes on then to say, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When that son comes, he will bring light. And it's interesting, as Isaiah unfolds that throughout his um, prophecy, in the book that bears his name, he, he shifts. There is a son granted who brings light. And then he shifts and points out that it is the people of God who have light. He says later in chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, a thick darkness, the, all the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you. See, even that is the language of the prophets. And the nation shall come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your rising. And so what Jesus is doing here, I think, is He is saying that you, as people who belong in My kingdom, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and you are part of what God has been doing all along to bring about His kingdom. I am that sun who shines. And now you are my people and you are those who shine in the world and the nations will come to your light. And this happens because you belong to the King. Because you belong in the kingdom. And again, I just want to say how normal this needs to be. I am not asking you to go out and do something heroic. 
Because the Lord loves inadequate and unqualified witnesses. He loves normal people who represent King Jesus. I was reading in my uh, time with the Lord this week. just so happened that it put me in the Christmas story uh, in Luke. And I couldn't help but notice that it was not the kings of the day or the intellectuals or the religious leaders who were first to bear witness to this son that we've already been talking about. It was shepherds. It was shepherds. It was young people who couldn't get a job. They had to go take care of the sheep. It was the women who couldn't testify in court but testified first that there was an empty tomb. And so I, I want you to think about being salt and light as a normal thing that a normal person Yes, <laughs> like you, can do. Because the message here is that kingdom people need to be who they are. That's all. Nothing extraordinary. If I want to say it a different way, it is contrary to the nature of these kingdom people not to have an effect. You have to work at covering up the light or being unsalty. Because to not be salty or to hide your light is to dispense, really, I think, with the Beatitudes. If kingdom people aren't poor in spirit or mourning or meek, they lose their effect. Think about that. When the poor in spirit person functions in the world, It's like the salt of the earth. When the mourning person lives in the world, it's like the salt of the earth. The meek person, like light. The one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The merciful person shines a light on a hurting situation. The peacemaker intercepts darkness. Those who are persecuted get rejected because the light's too bright. The light is seen when kingdom people live in the world for the sake of the king. The public life of a kingdom person is salt and light. And it can't help be. And I have to say, just like the Beatitudes were, this is an invitation to a new life, a new way of being in the world, complete with the promise for the next world. You and I read this and we have to think, is this the kind of life I want? Is Jesus the kind of king that I want to attach myself to? Because Jesus is a king and His kingdom has a different character because He takes people like you and like me who have been walking in darkness and He shows us the light and He draws us to the light and He changes us and sends us back out in the world as light ourselves. His death and His resurrection prove for us 
that nothing is going to stop His kingdom. That the very best place you can be is united with Jesus in His life, His death, and His resurrection. So that you then uh, share with Him in the light of the world. This morning, it's our privilege to be to belong to Jesus. It's our privilege to remember our King and what it means for us to be included in the kingdom. I think of even of Jesus' last words when he left a memorial. He left the, the dinner really as a memorial for his uh, followers. He said, "I'm I'm not going to drink this again until I drink with you in the kingdom." Jesus is very clear about what He's doing. He's inviting you and He's inviting me to join Him in this kingdom uh, of His, to live in this world differently because we've been united with Him. And so we call that celebration that Jesus left for us the Lord's Supper or Communion. And even in the terms of today's text, this, our identity is so wrapped up in who Jesus is. That when we eat His flesh and drink His blood, it, that should not be a problem. Because He has told us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You are the light of the world. I mean, just as soon as He's the light, we're the light. We share in the very nature that He has given us. And so, yes, we reflect on Jesus being the light of the world. And just like a mirror, we reflect that light to the rest of the world. And we marvel at the prospect that King Jesus has drawn us into the light. And may that govern your remembrance of Jesus this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. There's a table in front and a table in the rear. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. And then during the next song, uh, you can get out of your seat and get the elements and we'll celebrate uh, together in just a moment. Heavenly Father, it is a remarkable thing to be included in your kingdom to be united with the light of the world in such a way that that light shines through us. I, I pray that you would just unite each of us by faith to Jesus this morning. Use the bread and the cup as we remember His broken body and His shed blood. Use that. To remind us of our unity with Him. Father, bring it back to mind when we're tempted to separate ourselves from Him or hide the fact that we know Him later in the week. And Father, would You illuminate us as the light of the world such that when we go out from here, we too will be the light for others. Well, thank You in the name of Jesus.